listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Okay. As we continue to work our way through Mark, the scripture reading this week is Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. A leper came to him, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, If you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. After sternly warning him, he sent him away at once, saying to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely, and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you for that reading, Kurt. <clears throat> Before we get into uh, today's teaching in the Gospel of Mark, um, I do want to give a quick plug for our basics class. Um, we've got a number of folks who are signed up for the class happening today. Uh, it's going to be right after church, down in the basement. It'll go until about 1 o'clock. Lunch is provided. Child care is provided. Um, we'll be talking about baptism communion and what it means to be part of a church. Um, so it's going to be a really great time. And this class that we're offering today, Basics 1, uh, is basically the closest thing we have to like a new members class that they have at many churches. Um, it's the one class um, that we have people take if they want to get baptized or uh, like formally join the church. But anyone can come to this class, um, longtime church members, new folks who are just interested in learning more about us. This class is for everyone. Even if you didn't RSVP, come on down, grab some lunch, hang out. It's going to be a good time. And then just to kind of give you a sense of what's coming next month, uh, November 14th, I believe, we're going to be offering Basics 2, which is the second basics class that we have. Um, it's a class that explores various spiritual disciplines and practices of the Christian life, so things like prayer, Bible study, worship, all that fun kind of stuff. Um, that's happening next month. And then in December, December 12th, uh, we will be offering Basics 3 for the first time. We haven't done this class yet, uh, so I'm really excited about it. Um, it's a class that's exploring service and evangelism, basically how to use your gifts uh, in the church and how to spread the good news about Jesus. These three classes 
um, are really, we're hoping that this becomes the backbone of adult discipleship here at our church. Um, I would love to see everyone in our church take these three classes at some point. Um, and again, basics one, the one that's happening today, that's the only one that's needed if you want to join the church or get baptized. Um, but now that we're kind of coming out of pandemic mode slowly, um, we're hoping to offer these classes uh, at least once, maybe twice a year, so that you have options. And the great thing is you can take these in any order you want. Um, if, you, if you're doing one today, Basics 1, you don't have to take the others. You're not automatically signed up. And if Basics 1 doesn't interest you, but you're interested in one of the other ones, you can jump into that however you want, in whatever order you want. That's my plug for Basics. So there we go. Um, we also give lunch every time, and I'm a big fan of lunch, so that's all, that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, let's talk about the Gospel of Mark, though, the Gospel according to Mark. How are we liking this series so far? We've been in this for about a month. How are we, how are we doing with Mark's Gospel? Good? Awesome. We got some thumbs up. Yes, we're out of Leviticus, thank goodness. Um, but yeah, Mark. Mark was a sharp guy. Um, if you remember last week, we left off with Jesus having this long night uh, full of healing people and casting out demons. We've all been there, right? Uh, maybe not. Um, but our scripture today, uh, our scripture today picks up the very next morning. Uh, Jesus gets up bright and early uh, before the sun rises, and he goes out to this secluded place, a deserted place to pray. I want to read the opening part of our passage again, just so it's fresh. Uh, Mark 1, starting at verse 35. <clears throat> In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. Now today we're going to be focusing on the second part of our reading, the, the cleansing of a leper. But I, I do want to touch on two quick observations about this opening part because it's important. Um, first is just the extent of the need in Jesus's world. He has only been in the public spotlight for a day at this point. He did some teaching, he did some traveling around, but his public ministry started yesterday. He uh, healed some guy, cast out a demon at a uh, synagogue. He healed Simon's mother-in-law. Now it's the next morning, and everybody is looking for him. The need is so extreme that one holy man shows up, one healer, and everybody wants a piece of him. It's difficult to overstate just how dramatic, how extreme the need was in first century Judea, especially in the region of Galilee where Jesus is operating. This is a people who have been conquered and reconquered by empire after empire after empire. They've been enslaved, colonized, oppressed, segregated, driven into exile, treated like second-class citizens in their own land. Generations of violence and war and poverty, and now all of that has compounded. The needs are so great, both spiritual and physical, that Jesus shows up and everyone wants a piece of him. This is no different from what we see in the world today, right? Uh, if we think about communities that have been historically marginalized, communities of color here in the U.S., uh, immigrant communities, 
poor communities, communities impacted by generations of violence and poverty, usually by design. If you survey a lot of those communities, you're going to find health needs are through the roof, higher instances of of some mental health, um, lower wealth, all of that is by design. That is systemic evil. That's what Jesus was dealing with in his day. And it's really important to make this connection between Jesus' time and ours. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, you've done for me. This is a little bit of why. (laughs) And we've got to make this connection if we want to read this text well, if we want to understand Jesus' world. We kind of have to understand our own. That's observation number one. Second observation uh, has to do with how the disciples respond uh, to Jesus, to his success. The text tells us uh, in verse 36 that the disciples hunted for Jesus. That's the exact wording. Like, that's not a mistranslation or anything like that. They hunted Jesus down. The disciples are like, where are you, man? Everyone is looking for you. You almost get a sense that, like, Having a faith healer in this region at this time would have been a pretty lucrative deal. There's more people to heal, Jesus. What are you thinking taking a break? Now's not the time to rest. We've got to capitalize on this. We've got to move. Let's start something. Let's franchise this thing. That's the energy that the disciples are giving off in this passage. And Jesus, what does he say? It's like, nope. We're not going to do that. I know we've had some success here, but let's go somewhere else. Let's move on. There are more people who need me, and I'm going to take the message to them. Sometimes success can be its own sort of curse, I think. You've seen this if you ever knew anybody who, like, peaked too early <laughs> or like a, like a one-hit wonder in the music industry. Uh, someone makes it big, they maybe write a hit song or they launch a successful business or something like that, and then they spend the rest of their careers, maybe the rest of their lives, chasing that first hit. There are going to be times in your life where you have all these voices chiming in. Come on, keep this going. Don't stop now. Now's the time to move. Now's the time to capitalize. Jesus gives us a pretty good model for what to do in those circumstances. It's okay to pump the brakes. It's okay to say, hold on a second. I need some time to get away, to reflect, to pray, and to discern where God is leading me next. That's what Jesus does here, and it leads him to a man with leprosy. Verse 40. A leper came to Jesus, begging him, and kneeling, he said to him, if you choose, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. Now, we just spent the entire summer studying the book of Leviticus, right? So you all should be experts in dealing with leprosy, right? Like, <laughs> for anyone who doesn't remember, um, I want to have a little refresher 
a walk down memory lane. This is from Leviticus chapter 13. See if anything is, is coming back. We are, I already see eyes rolling. This is great. Um, Leviticus 13. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a leprous disease on the skin of his body, he shall be brought to Aaron the priest. The priest shall examine the disease on the skin of his body, and if the hair in the diseased area has turned white, or the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous disease. After the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him ceremonially unclean. Don't you miss Leviticus? <laughs> A few of you are nodding. You're the sick ones. I like you. Um, but yes, yeah, skin diseases, skin eruptions, it's, ah, it's like a warm blanket. Um, hmm. Leprosy was a pretty broad category uh, in the ancient world. We have an actual disease today called leprosy. That probably wasn't actually what they were dealing with in most circumstances back then. Back then, just about any skin disfigurement could be deemed leprosy. Um, If you had rash, eczema, boils, discharge, just about anything that didn't clear up in a day or two uh, or that seemed contagious could brand you a leper. And leprosy was really more of a social disease. It removed you from society. You'd have to go present yourself to a priest. They'd examine you, and if they deemed you unclean, you had to live outside the camp, outside the city, until it cleared up. No one would touch you. No one would associate with you. No one's going to hire you. If that doesn't clear up, you're going to be destitute, and there is nowhere to go. The isolation, if you were unclean, was immense. This man with leprosy goes to Jesus, and he says, if you choose, you can make me clean. If you choose. This guy's not having a crisis of faith, right? He knows Jesus can heal him. He believes Jesus has the power to heal him. Jesus just might choose not to. That's what he's worried about. I know you can heal me, Jesus, but you might want nothing to do with me. I know so many people who have faith. They believe in Jesus. They've heard the gospel. They're on board with the Jesus thing. They've just been convinced that they're not welcome, that the gospel isn't for them, that they don't belong in church. It's not a crisis of faith, it's a crisis of belonging, if you choose. Verse 41. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I do choose, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was clean. Moved with pity. Just a heads up, this is one of those instances where the Bible translators aren't quite sure how to render this word, pretty, um, how to accurately reflect what Jesus was feeling here. You see this if you compare translations. Um, Some say moved with pity. Some say moved with compassion. Some say Jesus was indignant. I think that's the NIV translation. A literal translation would be that Jesus was enraged. His stomach filled with rage. That's what the text says like literally says. But that doesn't make any sense, right? Like Jesus isn't mad at the leper. 
He heals him. What is Jesus so angry about? What has Jesus filled with rage? Maybe it's because he sees this man who's been so isolated, so excluded, so abundantly failed by the religious establishment that he assumes Jesus won't even welcome him. Jesus sees that and it fills him with rage. How do you think it makes Jesus feel when people are excluded from the church today? This isn't a minor point. Jesus is furious. His stomach is burning with rage. We usually think of Jesus as this like calm, happy-go-lucky, peaceful, like hippie sandals type of thing. But Jesus is enraged when the religious establishment excludes people. There are going to be a lot of pastors, I suspect there's going to be a lot of Christians, who will someday have to stand before the judgment throne of God and explain why they excluded the lepers of their day. Where were you during the AIDS epidemic? Where were you during Black Lives Matter? Why didn't you bake a cake for your gay neighbor? Why, when people were crying out against injustice on the basis of their skin being different, did you do nothing? When we say all are welcome here, um, when we take stances for justice and inclusion in this church, it's not because we're like woke or liberal or because it's trendy. It's because Jesus is enraged when the church fails to reflect his heart for people. And I don't want any of us to have to explain ourselves to Jesus someday. When I was in college, I had a friend named Stevie. Um, Stevie was gay, and let's just say it was obvious. I think I can say that. Um, There was no closeting Stevie. She was out. Um, We were really good friends. We had a lot in common. And uh, one of the things we had in common is we both grew up in church, but we had both kind of fallen out of church in our college years. So one day... Stevie and I decided to go around and visit the different, like, Christian campus ministries on campus. And uh, we started with the Evangelical Christian Fellowship. In hindsight, probably not a good call, right? Um, Probably a mistake. But they had a meet and greet uh, right at the start of the semester, so we went together, uh, me and Stevie. I had a great time. Everyone was talking to me. People were introducing themselves, giving me their number, talking about where I might fit in the ministry. Not a single person talked to her the entire night. It was like she wasn't even there. I would introduce her to people, and they would just talk to me. After about 20 minutes of that, I was finally like, let's get out of here. This is clearly not a safe place. There's actually a happy ending to that story. Um, A few weeks later, we visited the Catholic ministry on campus. Uh, Stevie was terrified because she'd grown up Catholic, and that was not a good experience for her. Um, But she worked up the courage, and we went together to the Catholic ministry on campus, and it was amazing. You had this group of students, 20, 30 students, uh, multicultural. There were uh, LGBTQ students who were fully included. There were students who were differently abled in this group. Half the students were Protestants. They weren't even Catholic. They just, like, didn't fit in the other ministries. So they ended up here. I remember one of the students saying, uh, we try to make this a place where we can be authentic, 
where we can support each other and where we can talk about Jesus. That's church, right? That's what a church looks like that reflects the heart of Christ. That ministry, in many ways, saved my faith. I know it saved Stevie's. This story, the healing of a leper, is another story where Mark is taking all the normal religious assumptions of his day and just flipping them upside down. If you have leprosy and you want to be made clean, you go to a priest. The priest inspects you, they wash you, they shave you. If they deem you clean, you're clean. But the religious establishment has already turned its back on this guy. He's destitute. So he goes to Jesus. Jesus, who's not a priest. He's a carpenter from Galilee. And Jesus doesn't inspect them to make sure everything checks out. He doesn't shave them. He doesn't do a ritual washing. Jesus touches him, the one thing you are not supposed to do when you're dealing with leprosy. And he's clean. If you've had an encounter with the living Christ, you're clean. If you've given your life to Jesus and accepted his invitation to follow him, you're clean. It doesn't matter that there are still some churches you're not welcome in. It doesn't matter that there are still some family members that it might not be safe to be around. It doesn't matter that you've got friends who think you've gone off the deep end. If Jesus has touched you, you are clean. End of story. The next part, though, is where things get a little weird. Verse 43. After sternly warning him, Jesus sent him away at once, saying, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the word so that Jesus could no longer go into a town openly, but stayed out in the country, and people came to him from every quarter. So Jesus tells this guy to keep it quiet. Go to the priest, offer offer your offering, but then don't tell anybody. One commentator I read thinks that this was all reverse psychology. Um, Jesus really wanted this guy to tell everyone, so he told him to do the opposite, knowing that he'd do the opposite. That sounds kind of dumb to me, (laughs) I'm going to be honest. Like, that's kind of silly. Another commenter I read um, thinks that Jesus was empowering this guy to confront the religious power structures that had failed him. You go over to that priest. Don't say anything about me. Just show them that you've been healed and that they have nothing to do with it. I like that interpretation. There's a dark part of me that really likes that interpretation. Um, But even that one, I think, misses the bigger picture of what's happening in Mark's gospel. This is something we've seen already. We saw this last week when Jesus was casting out demons. He wouldn't let the demons speak because they knew him. Scholars have a fancy word for this. They call it the messianic secret. For so, and you don't have to remember this. <laughs> That's just what it's called. For some reason, in Mark's gospel specifically, Jesus tries to keep a lid on things. For like the first half of his ministry, he's telling everyone to keep it quiet. Don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. Don't tell anyone I healed you. And time and time, people just go and blab about it anyway. 
There's all sorts of theories as to why this is, where this comes from, why Jesus is trying to keep it quiet. My hunch is that he had a mission, and he recognized how dangerous that mission was. Jesus is turning the world upside down. He's touching lepers. He's casting out demons. Jesus is upsetting the established order, and he knows once word gets out about this, his days are numbered. He could end up on a cross way earlier than he's supposed to, and then Mark becomes a much shorter book, right? So he tells everyone to keep it quiet. Keep a lid on it. Don't get me killed. Here's the important part, though. We're living after all that. Once it becomes clear about halfway through the gospel that Jesus is heading to the cross, he stops telling people to keep a lid on things. We don't have to keep the messianic secret. We get to tell everyone the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We talk about evangelism sometimes in this church, and it, uh, it's a topic that makes a lot of us uncomfortable. <laughs> we don't want to be that weird religious person who's always trying to convert people, right? But evangelism is about spreading the good news of how Jesus has turned the world upside down. That's what evangelism is. How many of us in this room right now know someone who's convinced they don't belong in church? Just about all of us. I know a church where they'd be welcome. I know a community of faith that would love to walk alongside them. How many of us know people who are passionate about justice? They want to make the world a better place. They have values and a heart that already lines up with Jesus in so many ways. They've just been convinced that the church isn't the place to do that because it's a bunch of hypocrites. I know a church that cares about justice. I know a church that's passionate about discipleship, about actually trying to follow Jesus and do the kind of things Jesus did. We don't have to keep it a secret. We get to tell everyone who Jesus is, what he's done for us, what he's doing in our lives, how we have found welcome and healing and restoration and grace. We get to tell that good news to everyone. Someone's calling now. They want the good news. I'm sorry. (laughs) Oh, that was bad. That's our mission. That is evangelism in a nutshell. Don't keep it a secret. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus into the world to touch us, to heal us, and to declare us clean. God, I pray for all of us here, the people we know who've been excluded, who've been left out, who've been convinced that they don't belong. God, I pray that you would open up doors, create opportunities for us to share the good news of who you really are and how big your love really is. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. 
You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.